The following program was made possible by the generosity of those who have determined to hold fast to the true Roman Catholic religion, as expounded by the Roman Catholic Church before the disasters of Vatican II and the so-called New Mass. Hello and welcome to another live edition of What Catholics Believe. I'm your host, Thomas Nagley. With me tonight is Father William Jenkins. He is a traditional Catholic priest of the Society of St. Pius V. He also serves as the pastor of Immaculate Conception Church right here in Norwood, Ohio. Well, Father, how are you tonight? Very fine, Tom. Thank you. And yourself? Great, Father. Great to be here. Happy Good. Happy St. Valentine's Day to you. Well, I wish you the same and all of our viewers, too. Yes. Blessed St. Valentine's Day. Yes. Father, any uh, prayer requests to begin the program tonight? Well, quite a few, actually. Um, it's impossible to mention them all. I ask all to uh, remember the, the special intentions that have been committed to us for prayers. I ask people to continue their prayers for the repose of the souls of a number of your souls who just died, a number of them priests, uh, some of whom I was in seminary with, ordained with. Uh, please remember Father Philippe Guépin, who passed away uh, in Europe. Please remember Father Christopher Brandler as, as well. And... Um, also, Father Dominique Bourmeau, who passed away some time ago of COVID. Um, please uh, remember, of course, Father Chicada and Father Dolan. Continue to pray for them. Um, please remember Joseph Percher. Please remember little, little uh, Blaze, um, who's still recovering, we hope, and pray. Please uh, remember uh, Bernie Kunkel. We hope he is recovering, too, from the uh, uh, massive, I guess it was a stroke and heart attack, right? Both, and uh, just recently we lost a dear dear friend of many years, uh, Del Selway. can't say we lost him because we have very confidence that he saved his soul, but uh, that imposes upon us the responsibility to also pray for his soul. And I ask you to please pray for Del Selway and for his wife, Lisa. Um, Del's a fine, fine Catholic gentleman, and... Uh, we, uh, we know he, he practiced the faith, and uh, we have every indication that, that he had a great love for, for our Lord. So as confident as we are that he saved his soul, um, you know, we do not have the uh, power to say to him, Come, you beloved of my Father, and take possession of the kingdom. Only Christ, our Lord, can judge him. And so we turn to our Lord, and we ask, we ask our Lord for mercy for him. Absolutely. Thank you, Father. Lots to pray for, as usual. Appreciate mm -hmm. that. Um, we have several items on the docket for tonight, uh, Father. One of the uh, the main ones, though, was um, not not long after our last program aired, we um, we the, the news came out about uh, an FBI memo that was leaked by uh, a, a FBI whistleblower who um, posted this memo that came out from the uh, from the Richmond, Virginia division of the FBI. Um, where they talked about uh, what they termed RTCs, radical traditionalist Catholics. Mm. Um, they they talked about these um, racially motivated violent extremists who uh, might might find a they say might find a home in the uh, in the RTC movement and um, just I don't know warned about this this threat uh, supposed threat that radical traditionalist Catholics pose and uh, they they in this memo say that. Uh, there are lots of opportunities for uh, 
mitigation for, for recruiting sources within the church, um, lots of things in, in this memo, Father, certainly of concern. Apparently, it's been redacted since then. Um, some are saying only because of the the outrage that uh, that came out in, in response to this. But um, I know you've you've read through the memo, Father, and some of the uh, some of the happenings since that memo came out was leaked. What is your reaction to that, Father? Being well, I'm sorry it has come to this, but I'm glad it has come out that it has come to this. I mean, we, we could have expected uh, that the FBI was uh, scrutinizing traditional Catholics. We see conservative Catholics, at least, who have been uh, seized, you know, protesting abortion, um, and who are guilty of no crime whatsoever, but were, uh, their, their homes were invaded, and they were taken away in cuffs in front of their children and their wives. Um, they were charged with crimes, felonies, right? That could have sent them to jail for, for a dozen years or so. And uh, and uh, finally, was, most recently, we found one, a man was acquitted of all charges, found to be completely innocent of any of these char- accusations and charges. But the fact that they were conservative Catholics, I think, set them up with the FBI. And uh, you know, we're against all of the uh, the woke program. Traditional Catholics have to be against the entire woke program. And um, and the FBI knows that, and uh, the Department of Justice knows that, and uh, uh, the White House knows that. Right? They all they all know that. So uh, of course that's going to set us up because, I mean, if if a, a member of Antifa, uh, funded by George Soros, uh, actually throws a, a brick through a window or a firebomb into a building, um, that is a legitimate expression of uh, political uh, of social protest, right? And um, that, that is not considered to be a major issue. If uh, an abortion clinic were to be attacked, that would be major news, right. and that would be a horrible crime. If a pro-life center is attacked, it's treated as though it was something trivial at, at most, right? Um, so they make the mountains out of the one and the molehills out of the other. Uh, and so we, we see this bias. You know, justice, justice in America has been like institutionalized injustice right now. And um, because we're not with the program, we're not with the leftist program, and uh, that that makes us targets. So um, we we would have to expect how could it be otherwise that uh, a, a weaponized FBI would uh, uh, not recognize us as the adversary. And as a matter of fact, when I say not just an adversary, I mean as the adversary, because it is the true faith, it is the true church that speaks here. And uh, the history shows that uh, that is the one faith and the one church that will not yield, not to a Henry VIII or any other despot, to a Napoleon or anyone else, or to a Stalin or, or to a Mao. Uh, so um, they have reason to, uh, to be concerned about us. If they're going to weaponize themselves and... Uh, come after the opponents of the leftist program, if that's what they're all about, then yes, they'd have to see that we are adversaries, if that's what they choose to do. And uh, that's evidently what they're choosing to do now, unfortunately. Uh, the whistleblower's name, a former FBI agent himself, I understand, was Kyle Serafin, which is interesting. Uh, I'd never heard of him before. And he said that he's not a traditional Catholic. and he, um, I think he is a Catholic, uh, Novus Ordo, uh, evidently, he's practicing, 
But he said he's not a traditional Catholic, but he just thought that this was really wrong. Mm -hmm. um, evidently, he still has some, some principles as an American, uh, let alone a, an FBI agent, still has some principles to him. Uh, the memo, you're right, was issued, was at least uh, found, and I believe was issued in the Richmond office of the FBI. And uh, it denounces the radical traditionalist Catholics, right? Uh, says that they're uh, basically fertile ground for an extremist threat, you know, or uh, some kind of uh, extremism, a fertile ground for that. It was uh, retracted. You mentioned redacted, redacted. It wasn't just edited, it was actually retracted. I think Christopher Ray himself came out and announced it was retracted. It doesn't live up to the standards of the FBI. But uh, the retraction um, was evidently the result of uh, some, some real blowback they got. I mean, they, they, it's amazing to see how much blowback that memo, the, the revelation of that memo received. In a sense, it's, it's rather encouraging that there were so many voices raised by, you know, not only traditional Catholics, but even more so by some of the New Order, conservative New Order Catholics, and many non-Catholics came out and expressed their outrage that this would happen. As a matter of fact, um, the, um, and, and in the midst of it all, of this, of this, all this conflagration, right, this conflagration, of, of, uh, of controversy, what happens? There's a Super Bowl. The Chiefs against uh, the Eagles, right? <laughs> Both quarterbacks are outspokenly Christian, the very kind of people whom the woke crowd is targeting for elimination, right? Uh, Canceling. And they're both manifestly, you know, speaking about their faith in our Lord Jesus Christ and, and uh, honoring Him, and this is the inspiration in their play, you know. This, uh, they want to play football to honor him and, and use the talents they have there for his honor and glory. And uh, lo and behold, the, the kicker, the uh, uh, field goal kicker for the, uh, the Chiefs, a man named Harrison Butker, is the man who's been praised all this year for his service to the team and his, the difference he's made, you know, in uh, the record of the team. And he kicks the winning, the winning field goal, okay? And he's a traditional Catholic. And he makes no bones about it. He doesn't conceal it anyway. He speaks of it very clearly. Uh, he's a well-known Catholic, and a traditional Catholic who attends a traditional Mass. And of all, of all people, of, of all uh, publications, I should say, that comes out and speaks about him uh, and what a great guy he is and uh, what a good Catholic he is, and what a good traditional Catholic he is, of all things. It's Catholic News Agency. The Catholic News Agency comes out with an article uh, focusing on Harrison Bucker and talking about his, um, his devotion to his traditional Catholic faith. <coughs> it talks about him wearing the scapula, and the scapula was, was visible mm. as he was kicking the, field, <laughs> the, the winning field goal. Not that he necessarily wore the scapula deliberately, but I, you know, when you're playing football, I mean, there's a lot of moving around, and you know, a scapular can easily become, can become visible at a time like that. We've seen that when even the high school boys uh, play football. Um, so, he, but he made no effort to conceal it. He was wearing a scapular. But I, I thought it was interesting, if I may, just, uh, in fact, quote 
from that uh, CNA, that Catholic News Agency article uh, about this, because I think it's remarkable at a time when Francis is trying to uh, crush the traditional mass, <coughs> to annihilate it. Remember, for the first 20 years after the New Order came out, the effort was on to annihilate the traditional mass, and they found they couldn't do it. Uh, because there were priests, I was one of them actually, who just simply would travel and offer the traditional Mass wherever we had traditional Catholics who wanted the true Mass. But everywhere we were told this was forbidden, you can't do that, it's strength verboten, and you're going against the Holy Father, you're going against the bishops, you're going against the Church. But of course, uh, Monsieur Lefebvre and uh, the priests who we ordained continued to offer that Mass because they knew it was our Catholic baptismal rite, and we we had an obligation to do that, to offer that Mass, no matter who said anything to the contrary. They had no right to do that. And because of that persistence, and uh, finally Archbishop Lefebvre consecrating some bishops, finally the New Order conceded, you know, the limited access to the Latin Mass, the 1962 uh, Latin Mass. Well, the, the Latin, the traditional Mass with the 1962 changes, so to speak. Um, and uh, then and only then were Catholics allowed to begin having the Latin Mass in any of their churches by any of their priests. Okay. Um, now, Francis wanted to do away with all that permission. He wants to go back to the original plan to annihilate the traditional Mass. So for the fact that the Catholic News Agency comes out now speaking about... Uh, this hero, you know, a field goal kicker named Harrison Butker with the Chiefs. It says, as the ball went through the uprights, his teammates embraced him in a joyous celebration. Butker had just helped give the Chiefs their second Super Bowl victory since 2020. The offensive line, this is a quote now, the offensive line did a great job blocking. Great snap, great hold, and thankfully that ball went through. All glory to God. Butker said on February 12th, according to Arrowhead Pride. Don't know what that is. In an interview, well, it must Arrowhead, I guess this refers to the Chiefs, of course, right? In an interview with CNA, the Catholic News Agency, in 2022, Butker opened up about his love for the traditional Latin Mass, saying, quote, I think it really entices a lot of young people who are looking for answers. They're looking for happiness, and for me, I found happiness in embracing the faith offered in the Catholic Church. I felt like I wasn't able to embrace it until I saw it completely exposed in the light. I knew that I had discovered authentic Catholicism, and I found that at the traditional Latin Mass, in the traditional sacraments. And I think a lot of young people have found that as well, Butker said. So he related it to his own search for happiness, but basically he said he found that in the faith, and he found the authentic faith to be right there in the traditional Mass and the traditional sacraments. Uh, the fact that the Catholic News Agency is publicizing that is rather startling to me, um, and uh, p pleasantly so. So uh, in any case, I, th I thought that was interesting. I don't think the retraction of this, um, of this memo in any way changes the fact that the FBI has kind of weaponized, my personal opinion, against uh, Christians in general, any Christianity in general, 
but but uh, particularly targeting the traditional Catholics because they they seem to think that uh, <clears throat> the traditional mass and the traditional chapels we have um, are going to sort of bring together these various elements. Um, actually, these are elements that we ourselves would not agree with, of course. We do, we do not support white supremacy. The white supremacist movement is often uh, generally a, a Nazi a Nazi movement. We would not support that, right? Uh, that goes against the very concept of the Catholic Church. The very nature of the traditional Catholic Church is that we have one Savior who is the one Son of the one true God, and the one Savior is for all mankind, right? And if anyone has brought the races together, it is the Catholic Church. Uh, ordained them priests, consecrated them bishops, uh, named them cardinals, and um, but given them all the one faith and the one Savior, Jesus Christ, and the one hope of our all of our salvation. Um, you know the document that the, uh, the, the 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 memo the memo itself was entitled. If I read, may read that. Interest of racially or ethnically motivated violent extremists in radical traditionalist Catholic ideology almost certainly presents new mitigation opportunities. Okay, that's, that's quite a title for a memo. That's a memo unto itself, really. Okay? Now, you know, analyzing that title is um, instructive. Interest of racially or ethnically motivated violent extremists. Okay, so they're talking about people who are racially or ethnically motivated violent extremists having an interest. What are they interested in? According to this, they're interested in radical traditionalist Catholic ideology. So the interest of these people, these violent extremists <coughs> in radical traditionalist Catholic ideology, they say it's going to bring them in. And uh, you get the impression that they're, the idea is that they're almost setting a trap for them. They're going to be surveilling traditional Catholic groups, looking for these people, keeping an eye out for these people. You get the idea, okay, are we going to be monitoring the sermons, okay? Are we going to be monitoring who's in the pews, keeping track of who's in the pews? And uh, I understand that, in fact, that in places at times they have had agents available. I was even joking with somebody that I will be able to spot any federal agent in the church because they will be awake at the end of my sermon. Um, but in any case, I was just joking about that. <laughs> anyway, the point is that evidently it's going on. And someone pointed out also that the end of that long title almost certainly presents new mitigation opportunities. Yeah. Okay, so they're talking about the opportunities that this presents to the FBI. It's not an opportunity for the motivated violent extremists. It's not a, a, an opportunity they're talking about for the traditional Catholic ideologues. They're talking about the opportunities for the FBI. And what are these opportunities? For new mitigation. And I was told that that's their code for kind of sting operations, surveillance, and also kind of setting up, setting up criminal activity, search, seeking out criminal activity, uh, even recruiting for criminal activity for the sake of then exposing and, and, uh, and uh, prosecuting. So if that's what they mean 
that we can mitigate the problem by surveilling and then also setting up kind of sting operations to trap people. It wouldn't surprise me in the, in the slightest. Uh, the, the memo notes that the FBI investigations have found that there is a growing notice that the FBI investigations, so these things have already been taking place, okay, presumes that this has already been in progress, is a growing threat, a growing overlap, they say. They found a growing overlap between the far-right white nationalist movement and the radical traditional Catholics. That's what the memo argues here. By the way, it appeared in January 23rd. This is when it was exposed, January 23rd. And it says that there's a small minority within the radical traditionalist Catholic uh, element of the in, the in the Catholic Church, they say, who adhere to an anti-Semitic, anti-immigrant, anti-LGBT, and white supremacy ideology. It just volunteers this information. Um, uh, there's no evidence provided provided for it. It's just a, a blatant statement out of out of nowhere. And you find out that it actually originates with the Southern Poverty Law Centered a center of D's, right? Which has already been totally discredited as a leftist, uh, uh, kind of a radical leftist organization to attack uh, any anything that you would consider right-wing. And uh, the SPLC has already come out and put out lists of traditional Catholic organizations that it's targeting, and it wants to sick, sick the, uh, the power of government against them, to suppress them. So when this came to the light that this was uh, originated by the Southern Poverty Law Center, this was a major embarrassment because they'd already had to distance themselves from the SPLC. The FBI had to basically already say, we're not, we're not using their information. And here they were circulating this memo that was based upon the hate speech of the Southern Poverty Law Center itself, right? So uh, Ray had to uh, put it in reverse and then back out of there a little bit. And he says, uh, let's see, the FBI statement said, upon learning of the document, FBI headquarters quickly began taking action to remove the document from FBI systems. Well, no wonder, right? Uh, people reacted very strongly to it, and as well they should have. Uh, Charlie Kirk uh, founder of Turning Point USA, a name fairly well known to conservatives, says the FBI was just caught plotting to target Catholics who attend Latin Mass using SPLC rhetoric as justification to treat them as enemies of the state. The KGB didn't go away. They just got the FBI to adopt their tactics. And uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene, I think most people would recognize her name now, Georgia congresswoman, wrote, uh, while well, actually reading from extracts, uh, reading extracts of the leaked memo, said, this is religious persecution, and it's being done by our own government. I'll say it again, defund the FBI. Uh, Texas uh, Republican Representative Ronnie Jackson said, apparently, devout Catholic Joe Biden, and he has devout Catholic in quotation marks, is using his FBI to target Catholics. Wow. The FBI has truly become the enemy of the people. They've actually declared war on Christians now. Unbelievable! Exclamation point. Says Ronnie Jackson, GOP representative from Texas. 
And uh, Fox News anchor David Asman. I don't know if David is a Catholic. I have no idea of any species. But he sent out a tweet saying uh, the FBI bigoted an unconstitutional piece of trash, is what he called it. And uh, so, I mean, this, this met with a lot of resistance. People were ups- very, very, very upset about it. And uh, that, to me, is actually rather startling, right? Rather startling. Uh, the fact that people would uh, react to it. And then how many attorneys general of different states, what was it, like 19 states, attorneys generals, uh, or attorneys general are demanding some kind of explanation for the FBI about how this is even possible? Um, so... Um, I think it, it still shows that uh, there's still grounds to fight the battle for truth, justice, and the American way. Um, but uh, there is also, well, even, even for this small minority of what they like to call as traditional, uh, or radical traditional Latin mass <laughs> adherents, they like to refer to as, as ideologues, I guess that means that the entire church uh, for 2,000 years have been filled with radical traditional mass ideologues because that was the mass that they attended, right? And uh, so we continue to hold to it today as our Catholic birth and baptismal rite. And uh, we cannot let it go as certainly not in favor of a woke leftist novus ordo that was created by modernists um, and represented by people from uh, Washington to the Vatican right now. Um, with their with their new order and new religious order and new world order propaganda and uh, program. In any case, Tom, um, we haven't heard the last of this. You can be sure that if the FBI has officially retracted this memo, they haven't retracted the thought behind it. Mm-hmm. It's still very much there, probably more than ever. Because now, because of the resistance and the, I guess, I don't know what else to call it, the, the reaction, the blowback they got from it, uh, probably took them by surprise. And um, probably made them think, all the more reason, this is a threat, we have to go after this. We have to find a way to discredit the, this entire group, you know. And uh, if they're conducting mitigation efforts... Well, we've seen those things happen, where people are set up. Uh, there's a, a very serious question with regard to FBI activity in Michigan with the accusation that certain people are going to try to kidnap uh, Governor Whitmer up there. And uh, it was a very, very uh, suspect operation, you know. But it seems to have this idea of a sting to trap and trap people. This was the argument of those who are uh, put on the defendants, but defensive. And uh, I think they were ultimately convicted. But again, you know, someone can say wrongfully so. They were, they were trapped. Um, this wouldn't be the first time the FBI has conducted such an operation. I mean, there's again the old hat. They're all hand at this, right? Experts at the subject. And um, this could well bring us in, into their sights. Mm. So uh, one thing we have to be very careful about is we have to be very careful uh, not to lose sight of 
the very purpose of our adherence to the traditional Mass, the traditional sacraments, the traditional Catholic faith. And that it's about our Lord Jesus Christ and our loyalty to Him. It's not a political movement, not a political effort, it's not inspired by politics. It doesn't begin with politics, it doesn't end with politics. In the middle, it's not about politics. It's about the sovereignty of our Lord Jesus Christ over all human souls in the world today and throughout time. Okay? If somebody wants to politicize that, when we talk about the social kingship of Christ, they don't understand it. And we need to explain it to them. Uh, maybe they don't want to understand it, but we still need to explain it adequately for everybody of goodwill, what we mean by that. So um, we also have to be very, very careful. Uh, if we see somebody coming in uh, to the church with a, a real anti-Christian teaching, like white supremacy or uh, other uh, strange things, things that are filled with uh, honest hatred of any group, ethnic group or other, we know that this is not permissible and we cannot subscribe to it. We are not anti-LGBTQA+. We're not against these people. Our position is not against these people. Um, our position is against the sinfulness of the whole position and the damage that it's doing to them too. I mean, we're moved by a, a real charity for them. We want their salvation. We don't want them to be uh, it, damaging themselves and others spiritually by, by these, uh, these sins. We call them perversions. And uh, so they are. They are indeed perversions of God's plan. But we're not motivated by hatred for them. If we are, then we can't call ourselves Catholics to that extent. Uh, we have to be motivated by love for them. Any more than our Lord was motivated by hatred for us when he came and died for us on the cross. He was motivated by love for us. And our sins did not prevent him from coming to us, did not prevent him from loving us. Rather, it was because of our sins that he knew we needed him. And his love, and, and his love for us drew him to us because he knew we needed him to offer that sacrifice to redeem us from the very sins for which he was suffering. Uh, so even as we're inflicting that suffering upon him on the cross, he is offering that very suffering to God, the Father, uh, in reparation for us and for those very sins. Only the Son of God could do that. The infinitely powerful, the infinitely good, infinitely loving Son of God could do that. We have to follow his example. Uh, so as St. Paul says, if we do that, we will give the lie to all of those who would misrepresent Christ, the faith he taught, our church, and ourselves. By, by following the example of Christ, we prove that what they're, uh, the, the, the dishonesty of the lie that is launched against him. Uh, so, anyway, mm. I will stop there, <laughs> take a breath momentarily. <laughs> Father, do you think this um, this all of this news could anyway be indicative of of the end times? Because it seems that um, things like this are they they seem to to very clearly draw the lines between good and evil. I mean, how 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 strong of, of a uh, of a spiritual life does one have to have in this climate to maintain and persevere in, in their faith when they are being persecuted from all sides? They're being uh, oppressed and suppressed by their own government. Um, you know, they're, they're conducting surveillance on us and, and all these Well, things. we already saw that in the history of the church, right? There's hardly a moment in the church's history where that has not been the case somewhere. Yeah. 
where Catholics have not been suffering that very, very abuse, uh, that defamation. Read St. Matthew chapter 5, the very beginning, the eight Beatitudes. Blessed are you when they shall revile you and persecute you and accuse you of all manner of evil um, untruly for my name's sake. Right? Um, our Lord in the Beatitudes talks about the necessary to thirst for justice, uh, hunger and thirst for justice, for, to be merciful, and uh, so on. So, I mean, these are, this is, these are the commandments of the new law. Uh, which, coupled with the incomplete and imperfect commandments of the old law, uh, formed the complete teaching of our Lord. Right? Turn to First uh, Corinthians chapter thirteen. You have the entire uh, statement of the Catholic moral law and moral life spelled out in thirteen verses in one chapter thirteen of one epistle, First Corinthians of Saint Paul, and uh, they tell you what a Catholic is expected to do. If he doesn't act according to that, he's not acting in his capacity as a Catholic. He's acting contrary to it, okay? But, <laughs> when you, you know, our Lord said, if you wish to be my disciple, you must take up your cross every day and follow me. Why did our Lord say that? Because he knew this was necessary. This is what we need necessary to actually follow him. And by that, he means to follow the example that he set. And, um, you know, our, our Lord... Time and time again, he talks about the necessity of bearing the cross with him and for him. Uh, so we have to do that patiently. Now, our Lord does not say that we have to let evil triumph. Uh, that that is, that is Christian, simply to let um, people do evil things, especially corrupt the innocent young. Our Lord never says we can tolerate that. Um, there are things that we have to fight against in this world. To be faithful to our Lord. Again, the church has set that example. Christians have also have set that example. Uh, if in, the, the faith actually inspires uh, people to band together in a society and a nation, they have a right to protect their truly Christian society and Christian nation. They have the right to defend that, as they have a right to defend their homes. Uh, God never denies that. He never... He never uh, uh, took that right away, these are God-given rights, and sometimes obligations to defend, right? To fight for your country, to defend your country is an act of piety, which is a part of justice, which God demands of us, right? Um, so it doesn't make us all pacifists. Um, I mean, there, there are those who would argue for pacifism today, but uh, when we look back at the history of the church, we find that there is such thing as just self-defense, and there can be such a thing even as a just war. Um, there are very serious and stringent rules <laughs> regarding those things. Uh, they have to you know, meet certain very definite criteria. The point is, though, uh, that it is, it is perfectly Christian to fight for things, and perfectly Catholic to fight for what we believe in. Uh, not wars of aggression, uh, but we're, we're um, able, we're, we're permitted to defend, and sometimes it's to say obliged to defend mm. uh, the innocent and the good and the right uh, against those who would uh, uh, not, not only, well, as our Lord said, kill the body, but would attempt to kill the soul too. 
Uh, so, uh, in any case, uh, we just have to make that clear um, that our Lord did not start the Church of the Holy Dormats uh, just to lay down and, and let let evil triumph. Quite the contrary. And the point is that personally, individually, we each each one of us needs to be willing to offer up in all patience. Um, the uh, the crosses that are given to us in this world, okay, and uh, show by our patience and our perseverance, uh, our the truth of our, our our faith and our hope and finally our love for our Lord, our allegiance to Him. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, um, we will obviously um, see see what happens with this, Father. Um, what other news comes out? But uh, mm. I would recommend today that people read, especially young people, read the stories of the early martyrs. Uh, you know, our young people are inspired by the story of St. Tarsisius, inspired by the stories of St. Uh, Cecilia, uh, St. Maurice, Mauritius. Um, in fact, among the martyrs of the early church, you find uh, two groups that are very well defined, that it yielded many, many courageous martyrs, inspiring martyrs. And they were both very young people, basically teenagers or early 20s. You have the virgin martyrs, uh, Cecilia, Barbara, and uh, you know Agnes and Agatha, and so on, on and on. We have this long, long list of virgin martyrs. It would be an interesting study for somebody to just start gathering the list of all the virgin martyrs of the early days of the church. Um, they set a wonderful example of of, of courage and. Uh, just, just splendid. No wonder Tertullian remarked that the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church, because they inspired so many by their patience and perseverance in their martyrdom to embrace the faith. And uh, the other group was the soldiers, uh, the young soldiers, who uh, became Christians and then fighting in the Roman legions stood their ground and would never, ever betray Christ, even while their uh, superior officers wanted to gather the soldiers to offer sacrifice to Mars or whatever for an upcoming battle. They would not take part in that, even if it meant death, as it often did. So again, the list of those uh, young soldiers of the early uh, days of Christianity and empire is so inspiring. We remember them in the um, in the litany of the saints. We remember uh, quite a, a number of them. And it would be a very good exercise for Catholic parents to have their homeschool kids actually do research these and certainly read the books that recount their uh, their courage and their faith. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Very good. Uh, Father, something else we wanted to mention tonight, um, something else that's been in the news, uh, was this uh, train derailment that took place um, here in Ohio, uh, East Palestine, um, close to the Pennsylvania border. Um, they're on this this train derailment. These train cars are apparently carrying all kinds of um, hazardous, potent chemicals, and uh, spilled out. And the uh, government authorities apparently decided that the best course of action was to kind of have, have this controlled burn of uh, of all of these chemicals, releasing them in, into the air in this town. Um, there uh, been all kinds of reports of uh, you know wildlife that uh, was fish and, and chickens that have died from this and, uh, and many large, of the livestock too. Livestock and many of the residents are obviously very, very concerned about this. Um, but apparently the government has uh, 
assured us that uh, nothing to see here. This is uh, all the air quality tests they've done say that they uh, all the levels are, are perfectly normal here. But there are some father who are speculating that this um, this actually happened on purpose. This was planned. Um, what's your your thought of this? It's thought? ironic that all of this is taking place when the 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 eyes of the nation are looking skyward at the balloons. Mm -hmm. you know, uh, we're being told about these balloons floating over the United States of America, surveilling, and all of this controversy about what the White House is doing, what it's not doing, what the military is doing, what, what NORAD is doing, and so on. So we're all kind of standing around like Chicken Little looking up at these. Uh, our, our focus is up there. Meanwhile, we have a, a city, um, uh, we call it a town, whatever, I don't know what the population is, East Palestine, uh, evacuated because of this train wreck. And it's, it's interesting how the train wreck happened. Uh, I won't recount that because I don't know if I could quite accurately. But when you read the account of what actually precipitated the train wreck, I think most people would wonder, well, why did they do that? Why did they take these actions? <laughs> Obviously, they would know that a train wreck was inevitable. You'd have to see, read it to believe it. That uh, anybody could, could claim this was a, a, a rational error, you know. Uh, but anyway, uh, the, the consequences were terrible. Uh, Polyvinyl chloride released into the atmosphere. They decided to um, try to burn it off a bit at a time, uh, but it exploded as, well, I, I don't think, again, one would have to be a rocket scientist to to have predicted the outcome of that, of course. Uh, you know, you can't just burn this off as it leaks. Uh, the, the fire is going to go back to the source and you're going to get an explosion. Um, and there was a massive explosion. And those who have seen uh, any videos of it, you know, can they, well, it looks, like a, it looks like a war. It looks like yeah. a nuclear bomb going off. <laughs> and uh, the, toxic, the toxicity of this chemical is horrible. But it has gone into the water system. And um, even if they may say, well, you know, the, the uh, air is now safe enough to breathe so you can return homes, the water is contaminated with these toxic chemicals. And the, the fish are dying and, uh, uh, you know, as you say, wild animals and livestock all along the, the rivers there um, are dying for miles and miles. These, this, this is the report that's coming coming down to us. Uh, the governor here, Governor Mike DeWine, was actually giving a press conference, making a statement out of it. And uh, there was a member of the press, he was a black man, who was courageously trying to report on this. He was standing some distance away from DeWine and doing what, well, the press would ordinarily do. They'd be conducting like a live commentary. <clears throat> and he was uh, actually set upon by law enforcement uh, beaten to the ground and then hauled away in cuffs <clears throat> for doing his job, for actually reporting on this. And now the story is that any of the members of the press who are going trying to publicize this are shut down immediately and threatened to be silent. Of course, all this does is breed speculation, all kinds of speculation about the role of, well, I mean, there is even speculation about the role of BlackRock in this. Um, I mean, the, the companies involved in this, the, the, the rail line companies, I, I was reading 
But uh, ultimately, they're controlled by BlackRock. Whether that's true or not, I don't know. And this goes back to Larry Fink, right, and the whole WEF and so on. And is this out of the question? And you say, well, you know, for years we've been told the food supply is going to be short. You know, we're going to be uh, entering a period of famine here. And uh, then you read about the poultry farms being burned down, the food processing plants being burned down, two dozen of them, two dozen of them within one year's time, I think. A major food processing plants destroyed. Um, pretty much unprecedented. And you ask yourself, well, you know, they're telling us we're going to have to eat insects. And at this rate, that's about all we're going to have left if they keep destroying the food supply. So when you see something like this happen, I mean, it, it seems to make sense. I mean, it just seems to be of a piece with everything else that's going on. No wonder people think what they think and suspect what they suspect, that there's a nefarious hand behind that uh, to manipulate us. Are we being punished because, uh, you know, we're a, 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 a red state, you know? Uh, why is this happening here in Ohio? Part of the breadbasket of the United States of America. People could logically ask that question. I think there are questions that need to be answered here. Uh, you know, Tom, what is even odder about this, one of our generals was asked, I don't know if it was a joke or what, but one of the uh, members of the press asked the general, with regard to the balloons, have they ruled out space aliens behind mm -hmm. it? And he said, well, I haven't ruled out anything yet. And this, of course, <laughs> generated a lot of speculation. Aha, you know, what, what are they really thinking here? Then you read that three of these aircraft, or whatever you want to call them, that were shot down, disappeared without a trace. Uh, they were shot down, and they haven't been able to find a trace of them. Um, so, again, I mean, this is very odd, and it just fuels all kinds of speculation. And uh, you might say, well, maybe the fact that it fuels speculation, um, maybe this is an embarrassment to them. They'll find a way to use it. They'll find a way to use it for their own purposes. They always do, right? Uh, a crisis that they create, they can always manage and uh, use it to serve their own purposes. Um, I mean, there's a reason why both Hillary Clinton and Rahm Emanuel uh, referred to a good crisis. It's necessary not to waste a good crisis after 9-11. But that, even that mentality goes back to the French Revolution, so that's nothing new. Um, but in any case, uh, we have to be very wary of uh, explanations that were being given. Uh, even ladies and gentlemen of the press um, are beginning to ask some, um, some serious questions about, about these things, like what is going on here, uh, which I consider to be rather startling if even they are beginning to notice there's something peculiar <laughs> happening they can't just continue um uh, you know whitewashing over it covering it up uh blaming it on donald trump or right-wing christian radicals or anything like that that they are really some some at least are beginning to recognize there's something very very fishy going on mm -hmm. Well, lots of uh, strange things to report on, Father, but anything, uh, anything positive, you know, usually I well, have I mean, to ask that question. You know, as far as we're concerned, though, I mean, we don't really have to ask the question what's going on in the sense that, 
uh, we already have the answer given to us from heaven by our Blessed Mother. Our, our Lady has, has spoken to us. Our Lord has sent her to us, uh, spoken to us at, at uh, La Salette, at uh, Lourdes, at Fatima, right? And Our Lady has warned about the sinfulness of mankind and uh, what that sinfulness actually is going to do to us. Uh, the the punishment that is to come because of our sinfulness, especially the great sin of corrupting the innocent. Uh, we see it happening apace today. And um, it, it seems that there is not the will, the, the will to resist it as it, as it is, is needed to be. And so even the good who are, uh, shall we say, who have a, a too little faith, even the good, who have too little faith or hope or love for our Lord, and therefore are inactive, are kind of neutralized or paralyzed from taking action uh, to resist the evil, they are going to punish, be punished too for their indolence and for their failure, right? To do what they should to protect the innocent. Uh, their own children and, let's say, the children of the world right now, there's an enormous amount of trafficking of children going on right now. Uh, there are those who are very much involved in the fight against it who actually can tell us uh, a lot about what's going on right now and by, because of the perversions of the rich and the powerful. You know, the plutocrats are the wealthy, uh, powerful, who control the governments of the world, uh, control the corporations of the world with their money, and uh, they're aptly named because Pluto is the so-called god of the underworld. And the plutocrats are associated with wealth because uh, it, it, wealth is associated with what's underground. I mean, they think about uh, the, the oil and well, and well, not in our own day, there would be oil, there'd be uh, diamonds and so on. It was in the soil that they found the wealth. And those who controlled the ground, those who controlled the soil, those who owned the land were considered to be the, the rich, even in those days, you know, 2,000 years ago in the Middle East, in the Near East, they were the wealthy ones, right? Um, and so to this day, uh, the rich who dominate and control society are referred to as plutocrats. And we might say they're, in a sense, the modern-day answer to the, the gods of the underworld. Right? That's what we're dealing with, the underworld. You know? um, our, our Lady, though, warned us that this is what happens when we abandon ourselves to sin. And uh, even those who don't are um, unwilling to, um, to resist it, to oppose it. They're neutralized by what? Laziness, uh, worldliness, worldliness does that. I mean, even those who have the faith, even traditional Catholics, can be very worldly. And uh, they might be very complacent, saying, well, we have the traditional faith, we follow the traditional Mass, traditional sacraments, we have our little traditional chapel, we have our traditional Catholic priest, we're happy, we're content, and um, so let's uh, just fly under the white radar enjoy life and see if we can get through without um, making too many waves or, uh, you know, uh, what should I say, drawing the attention of the FBI. 
um, but that's not what the early Christians did, and that's not what we're called upon to do now. Um, we have voices, and we have to raise those voices for what is right. And uh, we have to be there and stand up for our faith, stand up for our church, stand up for our Lord. Um, so, anyway, I think that is the it's a clarion call. The revelation of this memo uh, did raise some voices. I think it's an opportunity now to um, say, okay, well, they're targeting us because they recognize that we are against their corrupt and corrupting social agenda. And so this is an opportunity not to say, who, us? Us? Well, gee, no, we we're no threat. They targeted the Mass, they targeted the Rosary. If you're going to be faithful to the Mass, faithful to the Rosary, if you're going to be pro-life, as they like to call it, uh, which we consider to be much more than that, than the term conveys, um, then this is the time to stand up resolutely, without any hesitation whatsoever, boldly and say, yes, we do stand for those things. What's it to you? You know, Are you going to target us for that? It's interesting that the people who opposed this memo and this position were actually not saying you shouldn't have those mem mem memos circulating around. They were saying you, the FBI, are actually targeting these people for these things, for their stands on these things. They were actually finding fault with the FBI for targeting people for these positions, right? Being anti-abortion, for being anti-perversion, and, uh, and, and so on. Um, so the fact that they would actually stand up and say, this is their position, you can't target them for this, you need to recognize their right to this, you need to respect their right to do this. This is the time now to launch a major, I, I hesitate to say offensive, but a major statement that this is what we stand for, unabashedly so. And, uh, and you have just awakened a sleeping giant and we're not going to go back to sleep again now. Um, I think this is the time we need to actually take this stand. It's, we needed to take the stand a long time ago, but this is an opportunity to take it now. You know, there's a group called He Gets Us. They had a, an ad in the Super Bowl, right? I think you've actually looked into that a little bit, didn't you? Just a little bit, Father. Oh, okay. Some of our viewers have asked me. And, um, you know, I, I guess, did we have some questions about that, too, come into the show? Mm -hmm. What did they say? Just wondering your impression of it, Father, if you found it favorable. Did you, did you find it a good thing that our Lord's name was mentioned there? In These the are emails? Mm -hmm. Did the people who emailed you express their thoughts on the subject, too? Not really, Father. Really? But you've looked into it. What are your thoughts on it? Uh, just, just very briefly, Father. Um, I mean, it's good, obviously, that our that our Lord's name is, is um, being put out there. And, uh, as long as the name is not taken in vain, right? Yes, yes. yeah, yeah. And, and Do you right, think right, his right, name right. is mis uh, misapplied or misused here? Uh, to some extent, yes. Father. And why is that? Um, what does this group stand for? They uh, they just seem to be kind of uh, very wishy-washy, general good-feely Christianity type stuff. Um, not really. Certainly, nothing we would call traditional Catholicism. Uh, just a lot of kind of a natural message, I would say, of you know everybody get along, everybody be happy. What what it, what it would you say is their message actually? Um, just that everybody needs to get along and and kind of uh, not uh, not partake of any any hate or uh, anything like like that. Just kind of a natural message, I would say. 
so they want everyone to get along. Mm -hmm. And uh, but is the point that they want everyone to go along with whatever to get along? Is that is that their point? To some extent, I would think so. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, the reason I'm asking is that because I, I understood that there was some response to that. And they did have an ad in the Super Bowl about this, which was like $7 million pop, I understand. Mm -hmm. And um, that the organization itself might actually have about like $100 million in funding. Yeah. By whom, I don't know. That would be interesting to know where the funding is coming from. But I actually did print out a page from their website, which I thought was interesting, since people are asking about it. Mind if I read some of that? No, please. Here's what they say about themselves here. Actually, they had a little preamble there, which was kind of interesting, too. But they say of themselves, this, he gets us, he being Jesus, our Lord, right? And us being basically human beings. Uh, this all started with a diverse group of people passionate about the authentic Jesus of the Bible. While much has been said about him, much is still misunderstood. But we're confident that as people clearly understand, read, and learn for themselves about who Jesus is, they'll find wisdom, hope, and peace unlike any other offered. Be assured, though, that we're not left or right, or a political organization of any kind. We're also not affiliated with any particular church or denomination. We simply want everyone to understand the authentic Jesus as he's depicted in the Bible the Jesus of radical forgiveness, compassion, and love. So they're not associated with any church or denomination. They want just to represent the authentic Jesus, as though none of these churches and none of these denominations represent him, right? The authentically, that they do, okay? Which is already kind of a warning sign. Like, we, we know Jesus, you don't. Nobody else does, but we know who he really is, okay? <clears throat> uh, the Jesus of the Bible, they say. Well, I mean, all of Protestantism said, hey, we follow scriptures, scripture alone, and they didn't get it right, obviously, right? And of course, the Catholics, long before there were any Luthers or Zwinglis or Calvins, they're the ones who were um, copying, uh, translating, uh, promulgating, commenting on the Bible, right? Sacred scriptures. And according to this group, now they, they missed the authentic Jesus. Now here we are in the year 2023, and somebody, a small, diverse group, has finally found out who the real Jesus is, and they're going to tell us who that is. A Jesus of radical, radical forgiveness, compassion, and love. Okay? It wouldn't be hard to guess that we're led by Jesus' fans and followers. People who believe he was much more than just a good guy and a profound teacher, and that Jesus is the Son of God who came to earth died and was resurrected, then returned to heaven and is alive today. We also have included many voices in our work here, welcoming diverse perspectives, backgrounds, and experiences to help us address the many concerns and issues we all face. Okay, So they claim they believe that he is truly the Son of God, came into the world, died for our sins, rose from the dead, and, and, is, and is in heaven even now. Okay. Um, so we absolutely believe this, you know, with, with all of our hearts and souls, we believe this is true. Um, so the question is not whether we agree with points that they make, but if they have left out 
so that they really only see a very limited <coughs> a very limited understanding of the message of the revelation of our Lord. But anyway, we continue. Our hope is that you see how Jesus experienced challenges and emotions just like we have. Okay, he is fully human, right? We would agree. Our Lord truly was human, and he experienced uh, grief and um, and frustration even in, in, the, in the littleness of the faith of the apostles. We understand that. We want to provide a safe place to ask questions, including the tough ones. We have some tough questions for them. We are also about sharing Jesus' openness to people that others might have excluded. His message went out to all, and though you may see religious people as often hypocritical or judgmental, know that Jesus saw that too and didn't like it either. Instead, Jesus taught and offered radical compassion and stood up for the marginalized. So, you know, you see kind of using woke terminology here uh, to get their message across, and evidently they're using that terminology to appeal to a certain group of people, right? Uh, ultimately, we want people to know his teachings and how he lived while here on earth, and this will be a starting point to understanding him and his message. Though we believe he was what Christians call fully God and fully man, that may not be what you believe. We're simply inviting you to explore with us as he gets us how might things be different if more people followed his example. So look at this as an open invitation to engage and learn more. We're also here to support and listen to you. Connect with us here and via social media. Now bear with us as we use some official language for those who care about this stuff. He Gets Us is an initiative of Servant Foundation, a designated 501c3 organization with a 100-100 charity navigator rating. So um, what, what do we make of all this? Well, I mean, this is a small slice of perspective into their own website and statement about, you know, about us. Uh, it seems like another group that seems to think it's discovered the most salient point of our Lord's message, summing it up as radical, uh, what do they call it, radical forgiveness, compassion, and love, okay? And um, we've seen this uh, among the, the modernists and the leftists in the church that, look, our Lord has one commandment, just forgive, Love, forgive, have compassion, and, uh, you know, basically don't stand for anything yourself except for that. that that's, that's Jesus' whole message. It can be summed up in that, right? Is it true? No, that is not Jesus' whole message, clearly. Um, but this is what they want to emphasize. And I saw somewhere where they were saying, we're actually going to those who reject Christianity Um because they consider it to be against their, uh, maybe their leftist position. And we want them to understand that um, it is actually a good thing and that Christianity has been vilified and you can be Christian too, as long as you realize you're, you're all willing to forgive and accept Jesus as that forgiving uh, person. Um, it reminds me of something that... Um, Bishop Sheen said, you know, about God the Father in heaven, that uh, people don't really want so much as a father in heaven as a grandfather in heaven who wants to be able to, s nothing more 
than to be able to say at the end of it, the end day, a good time was had by all. That, that's all the whole point, you know. And uh, the idea of us getting along by going along, okay. So we would definitely fault these people. Uh, I would like to think that they are sincere in what they're saying here, that this is really their idea. And they think that this is going to uh, make a very positive difference to the people they're talking to. Um, do I consider this to be a leftist ploy? Well, they've been criticized by the leftists as much as they've been criticized by the rightists. They say that they're criticized by both sides because they're trying to find a way to bring everyone together. And their common ground is the fact that we can all agree on Jesus, that he taught this, and this should be our agenda, this radical forgiveness for everything. Um, I would say if they mean by that, that we are simply to overlook the moral law of God, um, to simply surrender to whatever positions others have and uh, to uh, basically uh, honor all points of view, you know, not say anything that would be contrary, to treat everybody in the world like snowflakes, as though we, we just must avoid at all costs uh, hurting anybody's feelings or offending anybody's you know, convictions or anything like that, contradicting them, then this is radically wrong. This is not what our Lord stood for. Clearly, <laughs> there was a reason why he was crucified. He taught things. You know? He confronted the Pharisees. He confronted the Sadducees. He confronted the scribes. He confronted the adulterers too and told them, don't do this anymore. Do, the, do not do this or something worse will happen to you, is what he told the woman whom, whose life he spared in the streets. So to say that our Lord was not confrontational, he definitely was. But his confrontational approach to sinners, to those who judged sinners, like the Pharisees and so on, uh, was motivated by a genuine divine love. And that's the difference. You can be confrontational motivated by hate and by self-righteousness, um, uh, by arrogance and pride. Yes, this can motivate your confrontation, make you confrontational. And this is the kind of thing that that not only did our Lord condemn in the Pharisees, but he himself, as confrontationally as he was, and he was, he did not confront with that. He confronted with the truth and with love, genuine divine love. He was motivated by a desire for the salvation of the souls, even Judas, right? Even Judas at the Last Supper. Um, so uh, this is the this is the radical difference with our Lord. Okay, he did not back down. He was motivated by a love for the Father. He was on a mission here for the honor and glory of his Father. He came, as he said, to Pilate, as he was standing uh, for judgment by Pilate, a judgment that ultimately was going to crucify him. He came came to bear witness to the truth, and anyone who's of the truth hears his voice. And he spoke the truth. <clears throat> so uh, if they're willing to say that, yes, our Lord Jesus Christ was motivated, <clears throat> he came to obtain redemption for us and forgiveness for our sins, that's true. He came to, um, out of love for us, that's true. 
but he came to speak the truth, and sometimes for us the truth can be very, very uncomfortable. So he did not come to make us comfortable. He came to tell us, you must take up your cross and follow me. That's not making us comfortable. That's not putting us in ease and say, don't worry, God loves you, everything's fine. Everything's not fine. In fact, virtually nothing is fine because of sin. And uh, our Lord confronted, uh, came to confront our sinfulness and tell us we must repent of it. And that has to be our message today. I don't know that that is their message. Right? If it is not their message, they're not, they're not delivering the message of Christ then. And they can't really claim honestly to represent him. They, they would represent a very, very distorted view of our Lord's teaching. If they say that our Lord's motivation was love, they're correct. If they interpret that to mean, let's all go along to get along, that is absolutely false. That is not from heaven, that message. Now, uh, read the gospel, you see, quote-unquote, confrontational. You know, I use that expression advisedly. <clears throat> but you can be confrontational out of a lot of selfish motives. But our Lord did confront the evil uh, the day, <laughs> absolutely, from the adulteress in the street to uh, Pontius Pilate, the governor of Judea, right? Our Lord confronted all and everybody in between, the high priests and all the rest. He confronted them all, but he confronted them all motivated by a, by a divine love for them and a desire to uh, grant them, get forgiveness of sins and to justify them from sin and to sanctify them and finally to give them everlasting life. That has to be our motivation too. Okay. Well, thank you, Father. God bless you. Appreciate all of your insight tonight. Thank you. For well, that. Uh, you're welcome, Tom. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. Yep. Thanks to all of our viewers as well for watching this episode of What Catholics Believe. Until next time, we ask that you all remember the words of Our Lady at Fatima to consecrate yourselves and your families to the Immaculate Heart of Mary and to pray and do penance. Thank you and God bless you.